on the Middle East, our Monitor's podcast on the important stories in the region. My name is Amrin Zaman, and I'll be talking about Syria today and in particular about Afrin, a Kurdish-majority enclave in northern Syria that was invaded by Turkish forces and their Sunni opposition allies in January 2018. Turkey insisted that Afrin's Kurdish leaders posed an existential threat to Turkey. This was because of their links to the Kurdistan Workers' Party, or PKK, which is waging an armed campaign against the Turkish state. Regardless of the justification, what ensued was a panoply of abuse, from the ethnic cleansing of Kurds to rape, looting and murder by the Sunni factions controlling Afrin with the support of Turkish security forces. Little, if anything, has been done to end the abuses and the Kurds have been reduced to a minority in Afrin, once a vibrant hub of Kurdish culture where Muslims, Yazidis and Christians coexisted in peace. The silence of the international community has emboldened Turkey to continue attacking the Kurdish-controlled north of Syria, killing alleged PKK militants in drone strikes and innocent civilians caught in the middle. A German-based group, the European Centre for Constitutional and Human Rights, has successfully mounted criminal proceedings against members of the Assad regime accused of torture. They did so under the principle of universal jurisdiction that allows Germany to prosecute international crimes regardless of who committed them or against whom they were directed. The group has now teamed up with Syrians for Truth and Justice. This is a Syrian advocacy group that has been monitoring rights abuses in Syria since the start of the civil conflict in 2011. Together, they have filed a complaint that calls on German federal prosecutors to investigate crimes by Turkish-backed armed groups against the Kurdish population in Syria and notably in Afrin. With us here to explain the background is Basim al-Ahmed, Executive Founding Director for Syrians for Truth and Justice. So welcome to our program, Bassam. Thank you very much for joining us here today to discuss this extremely important subject. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. So can you kindly explain the background to this case? What is actually going on in Afrin? If you could just summarize the situation for us very briefly, what are the specific accusations and what made you decide to file this case in a German court? Yeah, thank you again for having me. Actually, the complaint filed uh, by us, Syrians for Truth and Justice and the ECCHR, is, uh, is about and relates to ongoing human rights violations uh, happening, started in Afrin in 2018 by the armed Islamist militia and the armed opposition uh, groups. Um, so we are speaking about an area uh, where civilians are remain subject to the systematic crimes against humanity. They are subjected to the war crime. They are subject to the different kinds of violations. More specifically, um, these violations or these crimes include the persecution, 
and the forced displacement of the Kurdish population, uh, the violent repression of the population through detention and torture, uh, targeted killing and the destruction of the heritage site. So we are speaking about patterns, systematic, different types of like violations happened specifically against the Kurdish populations since 2018 by armed groups support, support, supported and funded by the Turkish uh, state. But it's not only the Kurds who are being persecuted. There are minorities who were living in Afrin, like the Yazidis, who were also are victims of this campaign of abuse, right? Yes, of course. We are, of course, we are not only speaking as the Kurds as like a victim in the violation in Afrin, we're also speaking about other minorities like Yazidi, like Alawite uh, people, but in general, like most of like the majority of like violations happened against the Kurdish population um, in the Afrin, uh, in the area of Afrin. Can you give us some specific examples of this abuse? We've seen abuse throughout Syria, particularly by the regime, of course, and those cases were successfully prosecuted, in fact, in Germany and launched by your partner, the European Center for Constitutional and Human Rights. Can you tell us a little more about the specifics here? What, what, what happened? What is happening? You mean what's happening in Afrin now? Yes, the specific examples of the abuse, because we hear the word abuse, murder, rape, violations every day now, especially with what's going on in Gaza. Can you just try and take us to Afrin, explain what's happening in Afrin specifically, what these groups do, how they operate? Yes, I mean, this is very important questions because we documented like the different types of violations since like 2018. As an example, when, when the invasion started, uh, the, the type of violation was more related to indiscriminate attacks, uh, to the um, like uh, execution, to the looting of like looting of like the, perpet uh, the, the properties of the Kurdish people. Then we start uh, seeing a different types of uh, violation, like like arbitrary detention, enforced disappearances, torture. Then also in general, like in, in total, this kind of violation can force the display, like uh, like involved in the forced displacement of the Kurdish civilians, uh, of like Kurdish civilians of Afrin, but also this violation like prevent the IDPs who fled during the operation to return to, to the area. Also, we are speaking about like, like sexual violence. Also, but also we are speaking about the destruction of the cultural heritage site. And like the sexual violence happened inside the detention center. This detention center controlled by the armed groups and this armed groups mainly funded and supported by Turkey. So what we are trying well, what we are speaking here about is not only like individual mistakes or like individual war crimes. Now we are speaking about like systematic patterns of violations that happened against like the Kurdish population. And so what made you decide to t take this to a German prosecutor? Why Germany? And what impact do you believe it can have? Why Germany? Because we are speaking about a state that their like its national law uh, allow uh, allow us like allowed us also to you know file this case in this in this state. We are speaking mainly about like universal jurisdictions because the universal jurisdictions 
can be seen as a tool, as a tool for us in our struggle for accountability for atrocities uh, happened in Syria. But also there was like a number of perpetrators or victims were already living in Germany, but also another number of people were living in Europe. So together, STG, ECCHR, and with six victims, we filed this case and went to the German authorities in order asking them to open an investigation about like the crimes against humanity and war crimes happening in Africa since 2018. And of course, you were obviously encouraged by the fact that uh, a similar case had already been prosecuted against uh, members of the regime who tortured people. That was that took place in Germany, right? There, those trials. Exactly. I mean, these trials actually kind of, let's say, paved the way for this claim. We were able to learn from this experience. We, we you know, like the verdicts, verdicts against like ISIS member and the Syrian regime helped us learn. We learned from this experience. They're like professionalism. We collected our evidence together with like six victims of Afrin uh, violations. Uh, we went to the court. But in those cases, the perpetrators were already outside Syria and could therefore be arrested and, and punished. Whereas in this case, the perpetrators remain in Syria, in Turkey. So what practical effect, impact, even if the courts were to conclude that these violations had occurred and should be punished, what practical effect will it have? I think the practical effect we hope from this claim or like the case, it's to push the federal, the German federal prosecutor to engage in this case. Uh, we ask them clearly to open a structured investigation about the violations happened um, uh, in, in this area. This can be, you know, can be like a preparation for like a wider like investigation. And we, we think one day some perpetrators will be in Europe and maybe there is already like a perpetrators in Europe from disarmed groups, but because there is no case, no like in, in, like in this, I don't know how to say, sorry. <laughs> Investigation ongoing. We don't yeah. know, but this will help establish whether or not there are such people already in Europe, right? Exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what, we, mm -hmm. what we did was to like, we, when we submitted this criminal complaint, we asked the German federal prosecutor to engage with us to open a structured investigation in order to build like this file and to be prepared in case that they found any perpetrators in Europe or for any potential perpetrators who can like reach to or arrive to Europe in the future. And these six victims, are their identities being kept secret for their own security? Of course, most of them, they are like living in Germany, but also there is like other like part of them that are live in Europe. And that's why you can't really get into the details of their cases. But there's a lot already out there describing. And we at Our Monitor have also investigated the allegations of abuse of criminality by these Sunni factions. And in fact, the US government has sanctioned at least two of those groups, right? And do you foresee the German government perhaps taking similar action as this case proceeds and, you know, it's proved beyond dispute that they have committed the crimes that they're being accused of? Yes, we are. This is one of our, like, this is our ambitions. We are 
hope we hope like the German authorities can start this investigation, but only, only we also hope that other war crimes unit in France, in Netherlands, in different like states in Europe can also start the, the same investigation at least to build like a structural investigation and collect the inform like information from the victims like who arrived in Europe. But the trouble is, of course, as you mentioned, these groups are backed by Turkey and Turkey doesn't seem to show any uh, willingness to uh, end its partnership with any of these groups. And in fact, we've seen some of their members being granted Turkish nationality and, you know, becoming influential figures, not just inside Syria's Turkish occupied zones, but within Turkey itself, where they've set up businesses, etc. So it's really like, as we would say in Turkish, trying to dig a hole with a needle. So it takes a lot of determination. But let's not forget that, of course, Turkey is a very critical member of NATO, and particularly at this time with the war in Ukraine, etc., that strategic importance, of course, is once more in focus. And we see the Europeans, the Americans, very reluctant to uh, confront Turkey. So that's also quite a bit of a challenge, isn't it, to, to, to tie this up to all with Turkey and try and influence Turkey's behavior. Yeah, exactly. I think in the long term, like strategy is to influence Turkey and put pressure on Turkey. But let's just like be very clear that this, like the core uh, of this complaint, it's against like the alleged perpetrator, uh, which belong to the Syrian National Army. But as you said, like these groups are funded and supported and has these clear links with Turkey. So mainly we are speaking about like four uh, armed groups, Islamist groups belong to the uh, Syrian National Army. We are speaking about Alhamdulillah Division, Ahrar Sharqiyya, Sultan Murad, Sultan Suleiman Shah. And we all know, and which is not a secret, that this group and other groups also involved in the violation, they have clear connection links to Turkey, but also, as you said, like, leaders of this group they have uh, they, like they have uh, the syrian uh, the, the the turkish uh, nationality but the case itself it's against the alleged perpetrator from the armed groups which supported and funded uh, by turkey and these are specific individuals that you are going after exactly so the, what we did well like we linked the documentation and the evidence we have with the, these four potential uh, perpetrators uh, from this uh, group. And we hope that the German federal prosecutor can start the investigation based on the evidence that, we, based on the evidence provided by the Syrians for Truth and Justice, ECCHR, and the six victims. So they belong, they all operate under the umbrella of the Syrian National Army. Have you been in touch with the Syrian National Army about these allegations? Have they? been cooperative? How have they responded? No, honestly, we are not as Syrians for Truth and Justice. We are not, we, we didn't engage with them, but publicly they said that they're trying to, you know, do kind of like training for these fighters. But I think they have doing kind of like propaganda. Publicly, they say that they care about uh, the Kurdish people, the people of Afrin, but nothing has been changed since, to, since 2018. Because in the beginning of the invasion, these groups and the leaders of the Syrian opposition, they admit that the violation is going on in Afrin. 
they describe this violation as as like uh, individual mistakes but now after years of years of violations we are speaking about more systematic uh, violation and it's no more about like any like individual mistakes so why haven't you reached out to them because mainly we don't have any uh, connection with them and some other organization they tried um, they give them some uh, promise you know that they will change their behavior but nothing, on the ground nothing changed so you think it's just a waste of time to, to to even try i think it's a waste of time but also sometimes through the involvement by the senior sna with the, some uh, ngos that try to take like a credit without changing anything on the ground so this is why we're trying to be careful as science for truth and justice not to give credit to any perpetrators who is like violating the right of not only the Kurdish people or, or like the Syrian victims. So many times like this armed groups trying through the, like the connection with some international NGOs or the UN entities to get like credit instead of changing the behaviors. So this is why if you just like compare, if you, if you, if you just like see the line of the violations since 2018 until now, we don't see any crucial change. We don't see any change. We are like facing or seeing the same type of violations happening every year in Africa. We are documenting dozens of dozens of cases of like arbitrary detention in Africa. We also seeing like the people are like routinely tortured by this by these armed groups. So on the ground, we don't see any change. On the media, they try to like you know separate this or publish this propaganda about that they are like doing this training re related to the international law, but on the ground, according to our documentation and the documentation by other partners, also there is no uh, change. Have you tried reaching out to the Turkish government? Um, honestly, in the beginning of the invasion, there was like a third party tried. Uh, to do this kind of negotiation, not between us as in T as TJ, but there was like a third party that tried to uh, uh, tell the Turkish government about what's going on uh, uh, in Afrin. Um, after months of negotiations, we provided not only us, we like many organizations provided them with like clear evidence about like the violation in Afrin. They get back to this third party and they get back to us and they said clearly that we are, as a Turkish government, we are not responsible about this violation. We admit that there is like violations happening in this area, but this violations is happening mainly by the Syrian armed uh, oppositions groups. And I think the most important thing in this claim or case that we are speaking now about the crimes against humanity, we are no more speaking about war crimes. We are speaking about systematic violation of the rights of the Kurdish people in Afrin. And we are speaking about the huge amount of evidence of the crimes against humanity. Well, Bassam, thank you so very much for joining us here today. And I wish you the best of luck with this investigation. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me. And this brings us to the end of this episode of On the Middle East. I hope you found my conversation with Bassam interesting and do tune in again to future episodes of On the Middle East. Thank you and goodbye.